Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney, are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This premier independent fan experience podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and brings you honest and in-depth Montreal Canadiens discussion and entertainment. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Pudvay are proud to be one of your trusted sources for Habs and hockey news. If you are talking about it, so are we. Habs Unfiltered has special sponsors. Uh, go to seatgiant.ca to save 35% on all your fees when purchasing tickets to NHL, CFL, Major League Baseball, concerts, whatever event Seat Giant sells. Use the code UNFILTERED20, save 35% on your fees. Go to builtbar.ca and save 10% using the code UNFILTERED20 on your purchases online. Go to East Coast Lifestyle and use the code UNFILTERED20 to save 20% off your purchase of any clothing at East Coast Lifestyle. Also, Lift Life. Go to liftlife.ca and use the code HABS10 to save 10%. And for a special promo until Christmas, HABS Unfiltered will be selling t-shirts in conjunction with 514 shirts. If you purchase one of our shirts, the entire profit for the sale goes to Vets Canada. Vets Canada does work to end veterans homelessness across Canada. So let's help a great cause and wear a great shirt. And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 199. I am your host, Blaine Putney. I'm joined by my co-host Treg Wilson. Afternoon. So uh, Treg, it's nice to have you here after a whole week of you being away. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. a busy dude. I try. Get lots yeah, going on. It's it's hard to you know take gym selfies and go it online is. and get asked by random people if you're piercing certain parts of your body. I did at one point. I don't yeah. know, but <laughs> and they weren't ducks. 
Well, when you're when you're working around uh, magnets, you don't want to be doing that. It's true. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this episode, unfortunately, Matt was unable to join us. He is working. Uh, Air Force apparently is very busy. So who knew? <laughs> uh, but for for today, we're going to talk a little. We're going to talk about the uh, LA Kings game as it happened yesterday. We're recording. It is the thirty first of October. The game against the Ducks is about to begin in a couple hours, but we're going to go over the Kings game, what we're expecting to see going forward. We're going to talk about Toffoli's return to L.A. for the first time since uh, he was traded from the Kings to the Canucks. Um, Team-only meetings, coaching, GMs, all sorts of craziness in Habs Empire. So, We'll just kick it all off. We'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Kings game. So the Canadians got decimated by the end of that one. Uh, a couple of, I don't know, just a bad period, period and a half, maybe two bad periods, two and a half bad periods, whichever you want to call it. They uh, they end up losing five to two, and that drops their record to two and seven with the ducks game coming up. If they play that way again tonight, they'll end, they'll end up as two and eight in their first 10. So I don't know, Treg, you you haven't been here for a week. So I'm going to let you rant on a little bit about this game and the kind of trash that you saw that you want to throw at just give her. Well, if I'm being totally honest, I see mostly highlights because I was at the Thunderbirds game last night. <clears throat> but uh, I got to see the first period. I thought they played well in the first period. I thought Allen was sharp in the first period. I thought uh, it was a beautiful pass by Dvorak to Anderson for the goal. Um, however, it seemed like I've said this before on Twitter. The Habs, this Habs team reminds me of the 2017 Habs. As soon as they get down or as soon as the game didn't go the way they had planned it to go, it was almost like they're just like, Oh, well, we're, we're done now. We're not going to win this one. And off the, off the go. I mean, uh, LA was what four for five on the power play. Yeah. Like it, it was, it, yeah, it, it was, was it was pathetic. And right. Th- that's the game right there. Four of their five goals were on the power play. You, you, you tighten up your penalty kill or you don't take so many stupid penalties, then, uh, you know, it's a whole totally different game. I found, though, uh, Allen let in a bad goal for the first goal. I, I think it's something he should have. And it was pointed out on Twitter. I forget who. It's a common goal that he lets in. Um, they, they, they show different highlights to different games this season of the almost the exact same goal. And uh, it just seems like the team totally changed after that. Uh, totally went from we're in this game to, yeah, we don't feel like playing anymore. So, uh, I mean, even well, I mean- if you go... Oh, go ahead. I know Allen did not play to the same level he did in San Jose, but he played a very good game. Yeah, he let in a weak goal, but he is the least of the Canadians' problems. I'm not putting the blame on Allen. I'm yeah. just saying that goal was a weak goal, and it seemed to have changed the mentality of the team in front of him. Yeah. After that goal, like the whole game changed after that goal went in. It just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think they played an incredibly good first period. Yes, they came out with a one nothing lead, but they weren't great. They weren't. It wasn't a great first period. 
it no, but terrible they played, first period. In that first wasn't... period, they played as a group. So they still yes. gave up a lot of shots and they did give up a few high danger chances, but less than they normally have through the remainder of this season. So it looked totally. Yeah. So by comparison, totally, yeah. it looked so good. But you go into the second period. Yeah. That goal goes in. And again, I'm not blaming Allen. I'm just saying it was a stoppable goal, right? That goal goes in. That's and the then all of a sudden, goal? the two, one goal or yeah. the, the, uh, the, the one, the, sorry, one, one. the tying goal, the tying goal, the one, one yeah. goal. And then the whole entire, it's almost like the team just kind of, ah, oh, we're screwed. You know what I mean? Like, and then they got away from that. And then they started taking some, pen- although there was a couple of weak calls there, but then they started taking some penalties and, uh, their PK just, I mean, I think one power play lasted what 30 seconds or something like that before they scored. Like, yeah, it was, it's yeah. just terrible. It's almost like, Oh, we're on the, we're on the penalty kill. Oh, the other team got the puck. We'll just go right back into a box. They don't try to, and we'll just stand here in a box and let you pass it around until you find a shooting lane. That's basically what they did. Yeah. <laughs> so at on five on five, the team is still okay. They're not, they're not world beaters. I mean, they don't have that that Deno Gallagher to tar line anymore, and anyone who's saying that they should have kept that line is ignoring the realities of what the salary cap does. So that would have been way too much money for that kind of line, even if it was a uh, a possession driver. It wasn't much of an offensive force either. Let's be honest; they didn't score a lot. Possession is important, but. Possession is kind of wasted if you don't score on the opportunities. Now, the important part from that line that may have helped a little bit this year, a little bit, I still think even with that line, this team is still where they would be. They might have an extra win. They take the harder matchups. So Suzuki would look a little bit better. Yeah, I think that's really the only difference. Yeah. I think uh, the top lines on teams would have a harder time putting in points. I don't think they'd be letting in five goals a game like they pretty much are now. Three to four. Um, (laughs) However, I think you're right. I don't think this team would be much better than they are now. No. It might be three or four wins instead of two, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Maybe three. Maybe three wins. Maybe. Because, I mean, we can you can safely say Toronto – they were in that game they could have won that game yeah and that's they the one game i think that would have probably been different but uh, the rest they could have they could have beat the rangers they could have beat carolina but it wasn't close enough to sit there and say that line would have made a bigger difference that's you right. know you know what i'm saying um la they should have beat i'm sorry but you beat san jose for the first time in 21 years and i know the score makes it sound like they dominated but they didn't they didn't dominate that game they just got they just their shots went in, uh, you know, 45 well, they, saves by Allen. Allen. They were due. They were due. But Allen was the reason they won. He made 45 yeah. saves and a lot of high danger chances. And uh, if you ask me, yes, they won four nothing, but they did not dominate that game. It's yeah, not a and, pretty and game. You made a good point a little bit earlier about this team's mental state. They're a very fragile team. I agree wholeheartedly. And I do think that part of it, I don't know if you said it or not or alluded to it, but I do think in part it's the special teams. So the penalty kill 
is decimating this team. They're, I think it's, they're barely they're barely 50%. It's terrible. They're 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 penalty kill now their power play is improving. Well, I mean, it can only go up. But it's better than what it was. Yeah. But their their penalty kill is just it's it's I don't even think it's 50%. Uh, and that, that's just, that's unacceptable. Like, uh, you say, you say all the time and I go by this because I agree with it. Your penalty kill and your power play should equal a hundred percent. If you want a good special teams, yeah, add it together right now, their penalty kill 64.7%, which is 30th in the league. Is it that power? Yeah. I'm, I'm just looking at the stats right now. I, I, I when I first saw it, I said, Oh, better, okay, I thought they were, better night. I I thought they were more around 54%, but whatever. And then uh, their power play is 9.4%, which is also 30th. So that adds up to, what, 73, 74? That adds up to a dead last team right there. Correct. And, I mean, I know everyone says tank for right. The team's not tanking. I don't think any team nowadays. We will get to that. We will get to that. We're going to cover – we're going to get to that point. But, I just want to uh, stay. I want to stay on the game, and I want to stay on um, on the special teams for a minute. And I want to point out something that uh, JP O'Connor shared on Twitter about the penalty kill. He showed five different goals that the Canadians' penalty kill gave up, and they were all identical. All different games. Well, some of them. Some of them were multiple times in one game but they were all the same play. The DDD pass where they would open up the, uh, the box, create uh, cause one of the defenders to collapse in. Then they would pass it across top of the box into where the seam would have been anyway. So they, there's no seam pass, but they're not covering that the top of the box either. So the guys are just moving into where the seam pass would end up. They do a two, a two quick passes, shot score. And there has been no adjustments. Like these games start, it goes from game one to LA's game. All of them are the same. And there has been no adjustments. Well, that's on Alex Burroughs. He's the well, this is the penalty coach. kill. Oh, so a little Richardson then. Yeah. Richardson, I mean, I don't know if they're not paying attention to that or if, I mean, you look at what they have out there. Everyone says, oh, it's because of Weber and it's because of Dano. Okay, first of all, you can stop saying it's because of Weber because all last year you all wanted to get rid of Weber. So stop with the whole Weber thing, first of all, because you're the same people that were crying Weber shouldn't be playing. Um, but Dano was a big, is a huge loss on the penalty kill. Dano was a huge loss. Paul Byron yep. not being on the penalty kill is a huge loss on the penalty kill. So right then and there, you have three big penalty killers out of your lineup. You basically have your first top penalty kill going. But you look at the penalty kill that they have, the, the, the personnel they have available for the penalty kill. And we talked about this before the season. Yes, losing those three guys is, is going to make an impact. But we did not think that it would be this big of an impact no, considering no, you have Armia and Lekin and Savard is a good penalty killer. Sherrod, Petrie can... even. Their PK should be at around maybe 80%, maybe. At least 75? At least 75, but not at 64. Well, I thought, actually, I thought it was lower. I'll be perfectly honest. I thought it was around 50%. But Well, uh, it was. It was at 50% up until, I think, the San Jose game. And, I mean, and then you look at the power play. The power play should be something that improved this year. 
You I'm think. sorry, but it should. Weber's not on the power play, which is a good thing because when the PK killers were on there, everyone was just gearing up for a big Weber blast from the point. Now you have two natural goal scorers in Caulfield and Hoffman. You have good bumper guys in Gallagher and Anderson and Dvorak, right? You have Suzuki who can, you know, play the high side there and come in and get, you know, play up the, the OV spot on the other side, basically. And then you have like Sammy Nico or Chris Weidman to help quarterback the power play. And Jeff, where the hell, what the hell happened to you in the offseason Petrie? Well, and, that's uh, the thing. The, the power play now, <clears throat> instead of being, let's set up Weber for the big one-timer from the point is, hey, let's set up Petrie for the big one-timer from the point. And Cole Costler, I don't know how many times he's been left open. It was just stick in the air. And Petrie's just like, I'm going to shoot into this guy's shin pads because I don't, uh, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if Jeff Petrie got in his head that he has to do what Weber did or if Alex Burroughs got in his head that Petrie got to do what Weber did or what, but. Or maybe terrible. Petrie is just tired uh, of Caulfield having lit up Michigan, st- uh, his, uh, his old alma <laughs> mater. So he's maybe. not passing to the Badger. I, I have no idea, but uh <clears throat> this power play actually before the season, I even said, I made a bold prediction. This would be a top five power play in the league. And why not? Why not? Look at the players they had going on it. There was no reason why this couldn't be a good power play. Now it looks like Toronto's power play, simply terrible. Ta- all this talent, nothing going in. It's the system. It is. It, it is. And, yeah. And that's, I want to get, uh, I want to just end the, uh, the pain from the LA game um, and, and bring up a good point from that game. And then we'll move on to systems. The, this was the first game for Tyler Toffoli back in LA since he was traded to the Canucks and they had a, they had a big ovation for him before the game. They put up a video. Um, it was, it was, it was nice. It was touching. And then the team went out and completely crapped the bed on him. The only good part of that game is knowing that Deneau is out a bunch of money <laughs> for, for putting money up on the board to beat his old team. That that's it. That's, that's the only, that's really the only highlight other than Anderson playing the way he's been playing. Actually, I think Anderson's playing great the last few games. Actually, I don't think Anderson's played bad all year. I just think now the pucks are starting to go. The empty netter opened up for him, opened the, open him up and I think it's going to get a few more. Yeah. And and I think, I think it has something to do with the way he plays. Mm. The the reason that I think that he is probably the most uh, effective player on the roster is to do with the fact that he plays a simple, straightforward game. There's no, there's no bells and whistles. There's no, he plays North South, goes to the net, gets shots on net, goes for rebounds, finishes his checks. Like just simple, well, simple stuff. If I'm being honest, I don't think he has the skill set to be anything but that. I mean, let's let, let's be honest. But there's nothing <clears> wrong with that. I'll give the analytic guys a little bit of a high five. Anderson is not your typical. He's not. He's not a a flashy forward. He's a, he's just a power forward. He's a Mark Recchi, John LeClair type forward who's going to use his speed and size to get to the net and put pucks in the net. And I think that simplicity like it it's not an easy thing to play the way he plays but it's not it's not a 
cerebral. It's not dip, you know, it's just straightforward, simple type of hockey. The rest of the team, however, you can see that they're all putting in a lot of effort. They're all trying hard, but nobody's working as a team. And they're trying to do things a little bit more complicated than they need to. I think Suzuki's coming around. I think he's starting to, uh, but again, uh, what I seen from what I saw of the game, a lot of his good efforts were individual. Like the one where he went end to end. Yeah. He ended up just putting a puck into the glove, Peterson's glove, but he got around three, four people, but it was all just him by himself trying yeah. to create something and nobody following up. Like and that's no, my point. Like nobody there's a lot went of, with him. There's a lot of work, uh, work going yeah. in. There's a lot of effort going in, but it, nobody's working as a team. Yeah. And uh, Adam Duchar made a good point and uh, we'll get into him later, but he made a good point. He goes, I can't lift this team up every two games. Yes. I'm the coach, yeah. but I can't go get these guys fired up for a win one game then have to do it all over again the next game. And he's, he's not wrong. These guys are professionals. They shouldn't have to have, I could see if they were, I don't know, midget triple A and, you know, the co- I don't even think you have to do that for midget triple A, but uh, <laughs> you know what? Am I allowed to say midget triple A? Am I allowed to say that now? U18. Okay. U18. <clears throat> Sorry. It's been a while since I coached or had anything to do with much. Oh, they changed the name. Minor system hockey. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> You say peewee or let us say peewee? Is that uh, is not that... anymore? I was told this oh. morning at practice I can't say peewee. Oh, all right then. Anyway, um, yeah, so and the coach is right, like we should be able to gain momentum off each win, not get a good win. Because I mean, that game in Detroit, they should have used that as momentum coming into this. Uh, this you know, Seattle, Seattle should have been beaten. LA should have been beaten. I actually thought they were going to lose to San Jose. I, I, you know what? I, in my head, I predicted them to go three and one on this road trip with the loss being San Jose. And then when well, they beat San Jose, I was like, okay, they're still going to be three and one. It's just because they got LA and Anaheim, two shitty teams. And Anaheim made, uh, made Montreal look like a under 18 team compared to what they were. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I think that's the worst sure. part of it. Yeah. The worst part I, of it is they look so terrible when they lose. Well, again, it's Ducharme's point is correct. He shouldn't have to be propping these guys up or pumping their tires after every couple of games, but you look at them between shifts. Like it, they don't even pick up momentum from one shift to the next. Nope. There is no actual cohesion right now with this team. It's, and just, it's like it's like you put an all-star team together, and they all just they're all just going out trying. Not that everyone on the team's an all-star, but they're all just trying to go and do their own individual thing. And that's the thing. There's no yeah. um, there's no singular direction. There's no. And I'm not going to, like, I understand there's a lack, uh, there's a loss of leadership with Price out, with Weber gone. Weber's not even around the team anymore, which is a big loss. Uh, Byron's out. He's part of the leadership group. Losing those guys hurts. But to have that level of disconnect, that lack of cohesion, uh, universally, it's, no one could have expected this. No one. Like you could have, you could have picked them to be a bad team, but you would have thought, well, 
yeah, they'll lose some game. They'll lose a lot of games, but at least they'll be close. But no, not even that. They can't even get from one shift to the next with a little bit of momentum. And I want to place a lot of blame at the feet of the players, but you can't put it all there. Like I, no, I would, no. I wouldn't even put it half there because that's where the coaches need to step in now. I said on Twitter, there's too much talent on this team to be this bad. Four, yeah. I could see them being end of the. I could see them end of the month four and six, or I could see them end at six and four before the month started. Based on the schedule, I would have went. I think they could go six and four to start the season. Yeah, Based even on the four schedule. and six. Even, even four, and, four six. and six, they would have still been in the running to pick up a good stretch and get into a playoff spot. But starting the season off, if they lose today against Anaheim, two kiss eight. the playoffs goodbye. Go two I mean, and mind eight. You, the Atlantic division itself is terrible right now. But, like, I mean, yeah. honestly, Montreal gets three wins. They're in second place. They're in third place. As long as no one else loses, no one else wins. But yeah, it's but not still. like they're, they're two and seven, but it's not like they're 30 points behind. But no. uh, yes, I know mathematically they can't be 30 points behind. Anyway. <laughs> But to be be honest, though, if you look at the way they're playing now, can you expect them to pick up a four or five win streak so they can climb back in? I expect them from now on to be 500 team. All I see is they're winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one. Because that's what they're doing right now. Their momentum from the Detroit game was not to win two, lose two in a row. No. No. Well. And when you beat the Sharks for the first time in 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 this century, You'd think you're like, yeah, let's keep this train rolling. Let's, you know, Seattle was a blip. Let's go. Let's get three or four wins in a row. No, come out the next game. And they're like, oh, they scored on us. We're done. It's over. Well, they came out the next game. They started off playing a solid road game. That first period was pretty good. But that that power play goal that they gave up against uh, LA and on a shit call, like that that slashing call that Anderson got on um, Kopitar. What the hell was that? That was so bad. And that's the kind of shit that a team that's in a, that's playing the way the Canadians are right now, that's the kind of call that kills you. And, but it shouldn't kill you. That's what I'm trying to say. It shouldn't no, yeah. kill you. What you need is a PK to come out, kill the penalty, and keep the momentum, momentum going. Or even if they score on the penalty, you need someone on the bench or a coach on the bench or someone to sit there and say, all right, boys, let's fucking get this back. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And this that brings me to what Toffoli said after the game against the Kings. And I'm going to quote him. I quote, I've gone through things like this throughout my career, and it's definitely tough to get out of. It's a funk where so many negative things are happening and you're not getting the bounces on the ice. And then the breakdowns are hurting you in the game. And that's when you start getting in trouble. End quote. So for me, it's not, it's not a, it's not execution. It's a lack of an overall team effort and direction. It's, it's too much individual work. It's not enough teamwork. When they had that good first period, they were moving the puck up ice as a five man unit. But as soon as they gave up that goal, it just turned into, I need to do more for the team. I need to do more for the team. And then it was just five guys on the ice. Well, there's, four people behind the bench that should be able to take that 
and give them the direction they need. If they see a team losing their direction, then you call them, rein them back in and say, hey, 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 this is the game plan. Stick to the game plan. Right? Now, it'd but be what's totally the game different. Plan? I don't know. Because there, no one sticks to it. <laughs> Do the players know? Well, and that's just it. See, that I'm, I'm sure, and I would hope, that an NHL coach has some sort of a game plan. You would think. You would think. Now, that brings my question to, clearly he has some kind of plan. I mean, you don't get to be an NHL coach without being able to put together a game plan. But is this game plan too complicated for the players or is it too is such a poor fit for the personnel in place? Well, my confusion is, is we both watched Ducharme here in Halifax. And he was more of a let the offensive players do their thing. Right. And mm-hmm. then he was more of this is my defensive system. This is how I want you to play defensively offensively you have the talent work your magic yeah in montreal he's not doing that at all that i can see no it doesn't look like there's that uh like the defensive structure is basically okay just make sure you're back in the zone and then yeah. cover your man don't oh you lost him oh well we'll work yes. on that next practice but but that is something that they're doing. They're playing man to man. Yeah, where every other year under at least Terry and they played uh, zone and it worked. Yeah. Now, now they're you playing man to man, and they are. And when you have a team that's it. not well known for its mobile defense, maybe man to man is not a good idea. I will say this: he did start putting puck movers with stay at home defensemen. Problem is, is our puck movers are all bottom six puck, bottom pairing puck movers, except maybe Petrie, although he's playing like a bottom pairing puck mover. And uh, Romanov, who's 21. And Romanov, who's 21. And I think losing confidence, if you ask, if, if you ask me. Yeah. But uh, he's waiver exempt and Edmondson's coming back soon. So we'll see what happens with Romanov in a week or so. Yeah. Oh, I've got a, I've got a question about him later that yeah. I'm going to bring up, but that this brings me to the fact that the team had a team meeting after that game. Closed door, team meeting, no press, stay the hell away for a good 45 minutes. And for 15 of those minutes, according to Eric Engels, Mark Bergervain addressed the team. And then the players remained with uh, afterwards, after he was done addressing them alone no coaching staff no nothing we're not even 10 games in and you have so far Bergevin has had an impromptu press conference and now there's been a players only team meeting things are not going well in Montreal so what what do you think Bergevin may have told that team like you put yourself in in his shoes if you were the GM, choose your own adventure as the GM. What would you have said? I'm pretty sure he said the coach isn't going anywhere. So if you have issues with the coach, you're either going to have to work with them or we're going to keep losing. Because I, I, and I think we're going to get this later. I, I don't think the coach, and you know me, I didn't like Ducharme last year when he took over. 
still don't think he's a great coach. I don't want to say he's not a great coach. I just don't think he's working out in Montreal. Um, however, he's not, he's not moving. He's not going. He's not getting fired. As long as Bergevin's GM, he will not get fired. Um, and I think he might have told him, if I have to make a shakeup on this team, it's going to be you guys that are moving, not someone out of this room is moving. Not, uh, and if that's what you want, my door's open, right? I don't think he wants to do that. I think DeBerzvin's a player type GM. He's a, he, he, he's, you know, so I don't think he went, if you guys don't smarten up, I'm going to trade you out. But I think he said that, that if you have an issue with the coach, hash it out now, right? Because he's not going anywhere, right? And if this is a coach you can't work with, then you need to come talk to me and we're going to have to try to work something out. I, I think that's what it was. Like, I don't think he's threatening to get rid of them because I don't think that's how he operates. Uh, and I think the players, I think the nail on the head here, and it's something that everyone's been talking about, is I think the players might have had their meeting saying, we have, someone has to step up and be the leaders in this room and on that ice and keep this team together. Because you're absolutely right, Blaine. It's just a bunch of individual players trying to play a team game individually. Yeah. And it doesn't work. When you it have might, it might Ben Sherrod as your leading scoring defenseman, you have <laughs> yeah. issues. Yeah. Now it might work if uh, you have four or five elite players who can carry a team in a regular season. Sure. For small stretches. Sure. But the Canadians don't have that. They don't have those types of players. They have a lot of really good players, but none that are uh, that elite level who can carry a team through a regular season. The only thing they have elite is they have Caulfield and Huffman who are elite goal scorers you can say they're elite shooters yeah but that's it and when you only have a guy who's an elite shooter he's not going to like i'm not trying to oh, i should i probably should reword that they're not elite shoot but they have they're probably two of the better shot people in the game yeah i would Caulfield say will the, be caulfield yeah. will be but maybe well, not caulfield right leads the league in um shooting yeah right now but what Which I mean is, is these, sad. these guys know where to put the puck on that. They know they, they can, yeah. they pick a corner, they can pick a spot. Caulfield, again, is another guy whose confidence I think is waning in this struggle, especially when you're wide open and no one's passing it to you. Um, and, but they don't have an all around, like they don't have a, and I'm going to do this. They don't have a Matthews. They don't have a, a, a Mitch Marner who they're struggling this year, but they're elite talent. I mean, I'm sorry. Yes. Toronto fans. You can have your elite talent. I'll give you that. They don't have a McDavid. Yeah. They don't have a Dreisaitl. They have a Hoffman, a Caulfield, a Suzuki, and a Gallagher. That's what you have. Yeah. So right? they're a team that finds success when they work as a team. As a team. You're going to have the odd guy. You're going to have <clears> – <throat> like when we said before the season started, we said this team has the potential to have a 30-goal score in every line, which they do. They do. However, that line has to work together. I'm sorry, Toffoli, Perot, and Caulfield is not working. There's only one line that's any working at any level consistently, and that's the Dvorak line. Uh, yeah, they're, they're five on – their possession isn't great, but uh, – um, Their high-danger chances are higher than 
they've allowed. So and they're, yes, they're yes. generating more chances than they're giving and up. And if you have the they're they're the t- they're the line that's consistently giving the team points and consistently giving the team yeah. offense. So the, it's um, the only line that's really working for the Canadians. Right. And and it's the only line that's stayed together so far. Yeah. Coincidentally. And it's up against and it's against up against the top talent. So when people look at their Corsi stats or their uh, XGF stats and go, oh well, they're shitty. Well, no wonder they're they're up against the other team's top line and Montreal's defense is shit. So <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Yeah. They're getting scored on. I'm sorry. Now now for me, um my thinking process as to what Bergevin may have been saying in that room uh, kind of sticks to a little bit of what you were saying, you know, Ducharme staying, stop, you know, if you think this is going to happen, then don't, he's not getting fired, wake up. But I also, I also think he might've, because he's such a player's kind of guy, maybe he was talking about what do you guys want from me? Have we done enough to give you what you need? You know, I think I have, what more can I do? I don't want to do anything. I don't want to trade anyone out, but don't force my hand. If you, if you guys can't sort this out soon, this room's going to look very different in a month. We also got to think, what are they thinking now? Are they thinking they, we can still make the playoffs and be a playoff contender? Or are they thinking, let's see how good we can do, but let's not think about playoffs anymore. Let's think about what we're going to do next year. How, what this team going to look like next year. Now I can see that being the thought process in the management side, but the players themselves, I can't see them doing that. I can't see them saying, Oh shit, the playoffs, fuck the playoffs. Let's I'm not saying fuck the playoffs. What I'm saying is, did he come in and say, Hey, we have two ways we can go here, guys. We can make a run at these playoffs. And if that's the case, a, B, C, and D got to happen, right? Or we can say, you know what? We don't have Price. We don't have Weber, right? Uh, this team's in disarray. You know what? We're going to do the best we can do. <clears throat> but on the bright spot, if we can't do it, we have a chance to get a top pick. You know what I mean? I don't necessarily call that tanking. I, ne- I call that, let's look at things realistically can we win without player A, B, and C, right? Yeah. Well, clearly this team is, uh, it's missing pieces. It's missing, it's lacking in areas. There's no doubt. Um, but what he probably, what I, what I think he probably told these guys was this season and how it plays out is on them. Whatever they do, however, or, you know, you make the playoffs, it's on you. You miss the playoffs, it's on you. You guys have to take ownership for your play. Now, this is this is your team. Um, which kind of brings me to we you talked about Ducharme not getting fired this year, and there's been a ton of talk on social media to get rid of him. And I agree with you completely. Ducharme is not getting fired. People need to stop saying that. It's not happening. There's reason it's not happening. I have I put four of them on Twitter today. Yeah. And I'm going to bring one up right now. He's not getting fired because they're still paying Claude Julian $5 million. I know it's a rich team, but even rich teams don't want to throw 
another two to three million dollars at another coach, paying five million for one, one and a half for another, plus three more for a new one. It's not happening. Not now. Keep in mind, Julian's contract and his five million per year, he is in the last year of that deal. So this season is the last season of that. Bergevin yes. is in his last season. So if Bergevin <coughs> does not come back, absolutely Ducharme could be fired. Yeah. 100%. But not during the year. It's not going to no, happen. Not this year. Now, I'm not saying he's not going to get fired because he just signed a three-year extension. Yeah. He's not going to get fired because you're not paying. No organization is going to pay three coaches, coaches, three coaches, uh, money to coach a team that may or may not have 10 million bucks for three guys. They're not doing that. They're not doing it. Uh, when they don't have to, because most of right now is looking at it, whether we win or lose, it's going to be on this guy. Now my money's on Bergevin not coming back next year. I really don't think he is considering the way things are going right now. The, um, the atmosphere that the league is in, based on the issues out of Chicago. And I, I know that he wasn't named in anything, but there's still whispers as to maybe he knew something, maybe he didn't. It could be that he, and, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one and say he knew nothing. Let's say, let's just give him the benefit of the doubt and say he, he knew nothing just for the sake of this scenario that I'm building. But people are still going to think that he did know something even though they can't, no one can prove anything. No one could say he's in the last year of his deal. They, they, uh, they had the draft with Logan Mayu, which caused a lot of problems with the Canadians organization. And Molson's looking at this saying, you know what? I've got a GM who's been here for 10 years. I've gotten one cup final out of him. The team right now is playing poorly. We're, we're looking really bad. It's not the best construction the rebuild's not quite done yet. I've had some PR issues. You know what? I think it's time to move in a different direction. I can see that. My issue is why that if that's the plan, if that's kind of what's going on, if you're thinking about that, just do it now. Pull the band-aid off, rip it off, fire Bergeret now, leave it with an interim GM. Who cares? Let the season play out the way it is. And do a proper search throughout the entire year. Timmons or Mellonby be the GM for the for the rest of the year. Timmons would be a great pick as an interim GM. I I see what you're saying there. I also look at it this way. I'm not sure Mark Bergman wants to come back and be the general. That's manager, another scenario. Yeah. Um, next year. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Like, does he does he want to come back or doesn't he? And that's what we have to look at. But then that still falls on Molson's feet at Molson's feet. He needs to look at this and say, well, okay, the GM doesn't really know if he wants to be back or not. Well, screw it. Rip the bandaid off. We're going to go another direction. You've had 10 years. You're not sure if you want to stay. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to finish paying you for the year. You go find something that you want to do. I'm not going to block the doors for you. You go and go find something that, that, you know, find your find your piece yeah supposedly Molson wanted him back gave him a a contract he didn't sign it according to angles and a few other people uh 
is it more money that he wants? Is it, does he just want out? See, I don't know. And I agree with you. A lame duck GM is probably the worst thing you can have. I think once he offered, but the thing I have trouble with is once he offered that contract and Ber- Bergman said, no, I'll deal with that after the season. Molson should have said, no, we're going to deal with it now or there, you won't be here after the, you won't be here because I'm not having a year with a GM that may or may not be back. Now, mind you, he did sign Suzuki to an extension. So it's not like he, and he said he's going to honor the last year of his contract. I do believe he's going to do that. When it comes to the Chicago situation, as player person, as a head of player personnel, you would think he knew something. Maybe not at the time, but at least after the season was done, like after they won the cup correct, through the summer, he should have known something. That's I my mean, expectation. I'm not I, saying I, he did. I want to be clear. Not saying yeah. he did, but Neither I expect I. that he should have. And people have to realize that this whole thing happened within a three-week period window. So it's not like the entire season it was going on. And I'm not, don't worry, I'm not trying to lower what happened. I'm not. I'm just trying to say during that period, they were on a playoff run. They were doing their thing. He was player of personnel. That doesn't mean he was around the team the entire time when they were on that playoff run. Right. He could have been working with guys in the minors. He could have been working with scouts. He could have been doing whatever, setting up for the offseason. I'm not saying that's what he was doing. So all I do know is he was not part of the meeting that they had over the situation. He was not involved in any of the talks. He was not involved. So maybe he heard something happen and the organizer looked at him and said, Hey, we got this covered. Don't worry about it. And he went on about his business. Right. Like I, I, Patrick Kane to this day says he had no idea that that happened. I don't believe that we we've been in locker rooms. We've been in locker rooms. Mind you, the black aces aren't usually with the, the regular team, but they're not far away. You know what I mean? They're in the same building. They just practice right after each other. And uh, <laughs> they all hang out um, together afterwards and in between. Correct. And- yeah. And so, and I'm not defending Bergevin. I kind of think he must have known something. I don't know to what degree, but I, I don't think it was. Uh, I can't sit here and say he didn't know anything. I just don't know what degree. I will go by what the report says. He was not involved. He was not indicated. His name was never brought up. His name was never brought up by uh, um What's this, the, the, the guy involved? Uh, Kyle Beach. Kyle Beach. He never brought up, he never brought up uh, Bergevin's name. Um, he mostly talked about the players, you know, the team knew. Um, so I'll go by that. That's, that's what, I'll go by the facts that are presented for me. And Molson, or sorry, Bergevin said he never, he never knew anything about it. The, the investigation shows he wasn't involved or had anything to do with it. So far. So far. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Everything like else said, is speculation. Everything else like is I just said, speculation. I, I'm I, I'm having a hard time saying that he there is no way he knew anything about it I, at any time. I agree. I agree. I think he would have found out about it eventually, at least in the summertime. So still, bringing it to the Canadians and Molson, again, the PR issues with this going on with the Mayu pick, uh, 
being a lame duck GM in such a big market like, like Montreal, I, I don't think that he would do anything that would jeopardize the team long-term. I don't think he would go off and make some bold, crazy, overpriced trade to try and save his job, quote-unquote. I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is that Molson doesn't seem to want this team to really take the steps needed to be a contender quicker. Like he's willing to let this year kind of just wither away and die and not take advantage of this. This could be an advantage for the Canadians long-term because you take a, you take one step back, you could take two steps forward if you play it right, but you need a GM willing to make those moves like uh, someone who's in place who's going to be here long term who can move guys like Sherratt and Kulak maybe even Lekkinen you know Armia you trade away pieces that can help the team long term that you can replace internally well actually it's just seen on Twitter and the hot Mark D'Amico made a good good point if Montreal made a trade now. Whoever they're trading out, they're going to get less value for than they will if they wait till later in the year. That's why and, I'm thinking if you wait until the deadline, guys yeah. like Sherratt are worth quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah, and, and at the deadline or later on in the season, but you're just going to have to face what the team's going to be until then. Exactly. Because That's why you want, to, you want to pull the Band-Aid now and bring yeah. a guy in who's going to do the job for you down the road but even that new gm coming in he's not going to make a whole bunch of sh- no no he may no. he may put a new coach in no he might i just don't see them paying for three coaches for this year like i mean i i look at uh i look at some of the people on my timeline from when i when i said my four points on why he's not going to get fired and they're like well it's not my money uh you know uh he's not a high salary they're paying him anyway um Costs less than a sim. It, that's not the point. It's still money. It's still money out of the owner's pocket that he's not going to pay out. After a two, uh, after eighteen months of no fans, the pandemic hurting the their yeah. finances. I know it's a one point eight billion dollar corporation, but you don't get to be a one point eight billion dollar corporation by just throwing money around. Yeah, and I mean, like another guy, I agree with most, but you highlight a problem the organization has with a fourth point, which is who on the team can replace them because if you're going to fire the coach you replace him with someone that's already there so you're not paying another salary that's what you're doing even if it's just till the end of the season you're replacing him with burrows or richardson or burke or somebody somebody's coming in there to replace him not a new coach and he says uh why does so new York? i said so you're not paying another salary and then they say if you aren't getting the best available why even try it's not about the best available right now you're not trying to fix the team right now because you're not going to even if you fire the coach and you fire the GM and you trade a bunch of players, yeah, that's not miraculously going to get you to the Stanley Cup. No, this team is still <laughs> going to be just as bad one way or the other. However, this season's going to play out is going to play out. And I don't see it doing much more than moving it up or down a few points in the overall standings. You may at the end of the year be fighting for a final wildcard spot. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Right, price comes back, say next month, and all of a sudden they go on a on a on a hot streak. Maybe, right? well, they could do that by doing nothing. So, so why hire a new coach 
because the team's doing shitty only for the team to continue doing shitty. And then you have another coach that everyone's saying, well, the team didn't do well under him either. Why do we have him? Now you're paying four coaches. And, and this, and this is part of why, why I'm saying, if you're going to make the move, make the move, pull the bandaid off with a GM. Cause that, Correct. cause if you have your GM, it's not going to change anything on the ice. It's not going to change your personnel there, but it's going to give that person time to get settled into their position assess what they have and refine their plan and set themselves up for the off season. Exactly. And by doing so they'll have their plan and they already have a plan that they want before coming in. They'll learn their personnel. They'll refine that plan over the season come deadline. They'll know who they can move out, what kind of assets they can take in and they would be able to work that into their plan. So guys like Sherratt, if the season continues, guaranteed he's going to be gone and he's playing well enough that you can get a decent pick, you know, a two, three, second round, third round guys like Lekkinen. If you were going to move him, he's in the last year of a deal and he's still an RFA. So you can, you might be able to get a late first round pick. Maybe depending on the team. I mean, the drafts in Montreal, if you can get a couple first round picks in Montreal, you're laughing, especially if one of those is going to be a top 10. It's looking that way, yes. Or Shane Wright. Although, well, yeah. oh, Montreal, they'll probably pick somebody, they'll pick a defenseman or something first. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's the thing. I, I've been looking at the, uh, the 2022 draft now for the hockey writers for a little bit. It's going to be a very, very good draft. It, it's, it's a good, solid, deep draft. And in the top 10, you have three guys who could be number one centers. Right, obviously, right off the top, he's probably going to be able to step into an NHL role right away. Mm. But then you got guys like uh, Lam- Lambert, Brad Lambert, who is Swedish, by the way. Are you playing in Sweden? He's European. He'll be Lambert when it gets to Montreal. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a kid out of the Czech Republic. Starts with an S. I can't pronounce his name correctly, so I'm not even going to try to brutalize that name. But those are three guys who can play center. And they would fit a, a need for the Canadians. There's a couple of defensemen, a couple of really good wingers. You get deeper into the draft. You're looking at second line wingers, second line centers at the end of the first. So if a new GM were to come in and move some pieces out, you want a stockpile, especially when you're hosting the draft. Oh, it's painful. It's painful. It's painful. It's painful. Now, for the Ducks game that's going to be coming up in a couple hours, changes to this lineup have to be made. I mean, Allen's probably going to have to take a break because he's so overworked. So Motambo's probably going to come in. I mean, it would make sense. You're playing the Ducks. You bring in Motambo. And, and we talked a little bit about this in the last episode between me and, uh, me and Matt where you let Motabo play his game and see what happens. And if he shits the bed after McNiven's comments, would you call him up? I brought up in the off season, bring McNevin up as the backup to begin with. And the reason I said, bring McNevin up and some people shit on me because they're like, Oh, why wouldn't you have Primo? Primo can play a full season as the number one goalie in Laval. You bring McNevin up. McNevin has succeeded at every level he's played at. 
Although I don't think he had a, I don't think he had a great preseason, but he didn't have a tear. He didn't, wasn't any worse or any better than Primo or anyone else. Um, <clears throat> and he let uh, McNevin do the backup duty, sink or swim. That's pretty much what they're doing with Montembeau or whatever, however you say his name. But uh, yeah. And he did not look good in his first game. I'm sorry, he looked terrible against Buffalo. The team in front of him wasn't great, but neither was he. True. Uh, he, he, you know, he reminded like. McNevin's an interesting thing, and, and I'm writing an article about it, but you look at McNevin, and you could almost tell from the start he was not in the Montreal Canadian plans from the beginning. Uh, just by the way, two seasons ago, he got bounced around the ECHL. Or last season, actually, he got bounced around the ECHL. And then get Kincaid, they had Kincaid as the backup, which put Lindgren back into the minors, which, again, McNevin, gone. Then Kincaid went to the minors because he wasn't working out and Again, McNevin, you know, I mean, he's a good goalie. He's a good kid. He may not be a starting goalie in the NHL, but we don't know because he never got the chance. Uh, I think he's better than Lindgren, and they stood with Lindgren as their backup for for how long? So, uh, personally, I would get rid of Montembeau and bring him up now. But, yeah, give him a game, see how he plays this game. Maybe he stands on his head, get to win, and – we don't think any more of it, but now, and after the comments that he made, he kind of, he threw the gauntlet down in front of the organization and said, you know, why are the hell aren't you playing me? Look at all I've done. <clears throat> and you could be a, a bit of a dick about it and say, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to bury you. Or you can say, you know what? Fine. Here you go. Prove yourself. And then if you, if he fails and you just send him back down to the minors and, you have your little meeting with him at the end of the year and say, look, we gave you a chance. You didn't really do much, but you give him the chance. Well, there's not a lot of difference. I don't see different. I don't see much of a difference between him and Montembeau, to be honest. I never saw much of a difference between him and Lingard. So like I said, well, the except, off season, except, except that Lingard's terrible. McNiven wins games. Yeah. But uh, I said in the off season, why can't McNiven just be the backup for Allen until Bryce gets back? Leave Primo in the minors. Primo gets his season as a starter. You've got uh, what's his face there in, uh, with the Lions. You've got uh, Kevin Poole. Is it Poolin? Yeah. Yeah, Kevin Poolin, and he's your backup Down to Primo. Show. Yeah. And, and he's, he's your backup to Primo. Or you send, you send Montembeau down, and if he clears, yeah, there you go. There's your backup. Whatever. Either way. What, whatever you want to do. doesn't matter. Yeah, But I, I have no issue with McNevin <laughs> at least getting a cup of coffee in the NHL two or three games to see what he can do. And yeah. right now is the perfect time to do it because what do you, what do you got to lose? What right. Do like, a, <clears throat> what do you got to drop yeah. the 31st place? <laughs> or 32nd? <laughs> you're, you're pretty much there. Yeah, you're already I at mean, 30th. Jeez, it couldn't get much worse. It's like Game of Thrones, you know, winter's coming, winter's coming. And speaking of winter's coming, Brace yourselves, because winter is coming. What the writers of Game of Thrones didn't want to tell you is that Bran was actually in a wheelchair because he didn't trim his balls with Manscaped. Poor guy thought it was okay to trim his balls with a traditional razor or hair trimmer. Not sure what you want as a gift for the holidays? Well, Manscaped is the ultimate gift, and we're here to change the men's grooming game so you can get 20% off plus free shipping if you use the code unfiltered20 
at manscaped.com. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 4.0. The Performance Package 4.0 is the best in the business. This hygiene bundle includes the Lawnmower 4.0 Weed Whacker, Boxers, Travel Kit, and Liquid Formulations. The new Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof with advanced skin safe technology to reduce nicks and cuts, and even has a light to help you help your close shave down there. No need to have a red wedding situation next time you're going for a trim. The Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer can help you whack those nasty weeds in your delicate holes. This product also has proprietary skin-safe technology to help prevent nicks, snags, and tugs. The Performance Package also includes Crop Preserver. It's deodorant for your balls to protect against chafing. Also, their Crop Reviver Ball Toner will help your boys fresh at all times. Maybe you're on the other side of the wall and you don't know when your next shower is. No worries. The crop mop ball wipes are for you. Have smelly feet? Manscaped can help with their foot duster foot deodorant. Make it made to fight odors for the dirtiest feet. Want to smell good everywhere? The refined cologne by Manscaped is a clean and fresh scent designed for the refined gentleman. On top of everything, they've even thrown in the shed travel bag to carry your goods and the Manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs to hold the entire package together. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. During the winter, you may be spending more time inside with your balls. Might as well make them beautiful. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code unfiltered20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code unfiltered20. It's time to join the Manscaped movement. These products are snow joke. Wow. What was that what was that code again? I didn't get it the first unfiltered twenty. Okay. I want to be clear that I did not write this. That uh that first part, um yeah. I have to I have to give the Manscaped uh advertising team a lot of credit. They're they're definitely creative. You know nothing, Blaine Potvin. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was a good tie-in with the fact that the Canadians are just, they need to go over that wall. They need to do it. The and White Walkers be, are getting them. They're, yeah. As they're, they're playing like zombies. <laughs> they are playing like zombies. Who's, but who's, and who's the, uh, the Ice King? Bergevin, I guess. I guess. You got that, you got that mane of uh, white hair going or gray hair going yeah. for him. So do we need a young female lead to end the curse? Like, is that what's going to happen? Maybe, maybe. maybe. What's her name? Uh, the president there of hockey ops is going to take but over. The gym. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Oh, whoa. Whoa. She's whoa. French and female. First female GM in the NHL from the team that drafted Logan Mayu. Mind blown. Um, so much right. confusion. <laughs> so I want to finish off the, the episode here um, as we record. It is Halloween, it's 31st of October. So I'm going to give you some final thoughts before we sign off. Oh, me? Uh, yes, you. Final thoughts. Well, my final thoughts are quit bitching about Desharm. He's not going anywhere. 
quit bitching about the fact that hire the best person available. We all know it's going to be someone French. So why even start complaining about it? It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. It's going to be a French coach and a French GM, or at least someone who can speak French. So get over it. Should be dang. Get over it. I, I get it. Yes, I agree. Hire the best person available. That's not what happens in Montreal. So move on. Uh, other than that, everyone have a happy Halloween. See what I did there? Woo. And uh, all the kids, make sure the kids are safe trick-or-treating and check the candy when you get at home and all that good stuff. Yeah. You, you don't want to be going through their candy and finding um, uh, anything disgusting, such as, uh, what's the name of that? Yeah, never mind. I lost my train of thought on that. Candy corn? So, yeah. Oh, God. You don't want that. Oh, my Rockets? Whew be horrible Those little taffy kisses or did you like or those? any nickelback albums if you find one of those burn the bag if someone gives you a self my one of my gym selfies it's over yeah now it is halloween so and the canadians are as we're recording about to play a game i'm hoping that they dress up as a competent nhl hockey team maybe they'll dress up like the canes what Hey, they're eight one. And then what are they going to do? They're going to, you know, they probably go around slapping babies too, just like they do. Stealing candy. They'll play solid defense. The Canes are that that team of people that you know, like they're run by a guy who would actually go and slap a child to take their candy. Is that the team you want? Got a guy to six point one million dollars because he's pissed (laughs) off because you uh, made him made him give someone a signing bonus. I bet you 20 bucks. That's all it was. <laughs> um, so, for, but in all honesty, I mean, happy, happy Halloween to everybody. Um, I want to remind you that the, uh, it is now the time of year where you wear a poppy and that is to remember, to remember all our fallen and those who have served. You'll notice that our logo for Habs Unfiltered is based on the poppy and that that's our, that's our nod to, the fact that all three members of the, the show serve in the Canadian Armed Forces and have for quite some time. So that's our, that's our way of honoring our, our friends and co-workers uh, year-round. Um, also, it, there's a t-shirt. That, as you notice, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, Treg and I are both wearing our Habs Unfiltered t-shirts. You can buy those uh, if you go to 514 Shirts. And uh, all the profits goes to Vets Canada, who go out into the public and try and find homeless veterans and get them back on their feet. So we want to support them, especially at this time of year with Rumor and State coming up. Uh, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I just want to thank everybody for listening to the show, uh, interacting with us. You guys make this fun. You make this you make this what it is. So. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you are talking about it, so are we.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.